since my father-in-law was admitted into the hospital on Wednesday night, our family hasn't been getting a lot of sleep. Um, I just came back last night and um, learned in more detail that a very low sodium count in his blood is causing his great confusion and uh, mental fogginess and an inability to speak. Yesterday we were all gathered in the hospital and uh, I took a break and went over into a corner and pulled up uh, today's sermon uh, on my cell phone and I was reading it and I got halfway through it and I fell asleep. And my brother-in-law saw this and thought it was the most hilarious thing that he had ever seen in his whole life, a preacher falling asleep on his own sermon. And he made me promise that I would tell you that story this morning. So uh, with God's help, I trust that your hearing of my sermon today will be slightly more interesting than my reading was yesterday. Let's pray together. Dear God, we thank you for your living word, which continues to bring our souls to life. And we thank you that you continue to speak to us through it, even here, even now. And for that, we ask for the special help of your Holy Spirit. And we welcome your Holy Spirit to move here amongst us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Our worship theme today is Be Transformed. And our theme is drawn, as you may have noticed, from Romans 12, where we hear this call to be transformed. It's also drawn from our congregation's uh, mission statement, which says that our purpose as a congregation is to be transformed by God's grace and mercy and love. Now I want us to notice here this morning that transformation is not anything that we can do to ourselves. Romans 12 says, be transformed. And one of the most important things for us to remember this morning is that transformation is God's work in us. All transformation begins with God's initiative. All of us are able to love because why? Because God first loved us. Everything starts with God. We see this pattern beautifully in our story today of Moses' mystical encounter with God in the burning bush. This is the same Moses, by the way, that we met last week, who 
was saved, he and others were saved by those two courageous midwives. What were their names, folks? Shifra and Puah. Yeah, I heard from Roland and Dottie that they've named two caterpillars in their yard. <laughs> Shifra and Puah. And little do they know how fitting that is for our focus this morning. These two brave midwives obeyed God and refused to throw Moses into the Nile. Now the interesting thing is that Moses does eventually end up in the Nile, doesn't he? But in a woven basket. And there he is found by the Pharaoh's daughter and raised as, his own, as her own son. Later he leads her, or later he needs to leave Egypt, and he goes out and settles in the Sinai wilderness, where he marries Zipporah. There's another name, Zipporah, the daughter of a Midianite priest named Jethro. Now Moses, in our story today, is keeping his flocks taking them to somewhere near Mount Horeb when he suddenly comes into the radiant presence of God. Now with all of our divine encounters, we're not exactly sure what's happening here because God is in control and we're not. Verse 2 says, first that an angel appears in a flame as out of the bush. The bush is blazing with fire, but it is not being consumed. And after that God calls him by name, Moses is so overwhelmed by the holiness, the dazzling radiance of God's presence that he tears off his shoes and he hides his face. God then sends Moses to go bring the Israelites out of Egypt. How? God answers Moses' question, I will be with you. And as a pastor, I have found that if we have that sense that God is with us, we can go through any experience. And if we don't, it can crush us. But with God's presence, we can pass through any time of hardship. And in this story, God brings radical transformation. Dreaming through Moses a dream of liberation for the children of Israel from the cruel empire of Egypt. And here at East Chestnut, we seek to be a church that actively collaborates with God's transformational work in our lives. Our goal, as it says in Galatians 4.19, as it says so beautifully there, is for Christ to be formed in each of us. For Christ to be formed in each of us. And we were talking about that 
when I was walking around with Ethan today. Christ being formed in Him, in me and in you. And Scripture talks about this again and again, clothing ourselves with Christ, putting on Jesus, and uniting ourselves with Him. But maybe you're sitting there this morning and wondering, what does that actually mean? What does it mean to be formed, for Christ to be formed in us? Well, it means that we begin to share His love for the poor. It begins that we begin to be able to forgive 70 times 7. It means we take on His holiness of character. It means that we begin to have the creative ability to overcome evil with good. And Paul tells us today that the more we are conformed to Jesus, the more we become non-conformed to the world around us. And he's talking about the world's ways of violence, racism, greed, and endless consumption. You see, dear friends, the winds of the Holy Spirit are always blowing. But we must hoist our sails to catch the winds. And so here at East Chestnut, we engage in Christian formation through worship, through Bible study, through sharing our resources, through mentoring a young person, through working for peace, in order to make ourselves more available for God's transformation. Christian formation is our work. Transformation is God's work. And through all of these things that we do together here at East Chestnut, we actively welcome Jesus to come shape His beautiful character in us. To show us how to live and to love well. And how to become whole. Whole in Him. And friends, here's the great mystery. The more you and I become like Jesus, the more we become who we really are. The more each of us uniquely becomes who we are, the more we are like Christ. And we see this great mystery today at work in today's reading from Matthew 16. In this passage, Jesus tells His disciples that He must undergo great suffering, be killed, but that's not the end of the story, is it? And then He says, and on the third day be raised. The way of the cross leads 
to resurrection. And then he goes on in verse 24 to invite his disciples and to invite us to participate in his death and in his resurrection. Not just at the end of our lives. And that promise of resurrection is our great hope for Selena Stauffer, whom we lost on Friday. But this process of dying and being raised is also for us here and now in our own daily lives. This week before you. Jesus says, if any of you want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it. And those who lose their life for my sake will find it. What will they find? New life. Just like Jesus. And so in this passage, we see that our Lord is inviting us on a transformational journey with God for his pattern of dying and rising to become the pattern of our own lives as well. This is what he is talking about, by the way. In John 12, when he says that a wheat of grain must fall into the ground and die in order to bear much fruit. Dying, rising. It's what Jesus is talking about when he talks that strange story about the sign of Jonah. In Matthew 12, we must all go into the belly of the whale for three days so that we can later be spit out upon a new shore, dying and rising. Jesus is showing us the way that leads to life, inviting us into this transformational journey of dying to our old false self and rising to our new true self in Christ. So maybe you're sitting there and saying, well, what is this old self, new self talk? It's something that we read about often in Scripture. Colossians 3, Romans 6, Ephesians 4. The old self is the self that tries to find meaning and identity apart from God. And we live in a world where many, many people are trying to find meaning and purpose apart from God, primarily in power, in possessions, and prestige. But this is never satisfying, is it? Ever gone down that road? It doesn't satisfy. And so the old self is endlessly restless, fearful, isolated, and vulnerable to sin. This false self, which is sometimes called the ego, is always trying to prove its worth to others 
by impressing and grasping, consuming and possessing. And it is precisely this old false self that Jesus is calling us today to deny. Hear that clearly. He is calling us to deny this old false self. I can hear my daughter singing, let it go. Let that old self go. Leave it behind. In contrast, our true self in Christ has nothing to prove to anyone. When you see a person who is absolutely free of the need to impress anyone else, completely at home in their skin, they are in their true self in Christ. We know it when we see it, don't we? And it's a beautiful thing. The true self knows in a deep way that we are God's beloved children. That we bear the precious image of God. And that we belong in God's family. End of story. We're good. And when we are in our true self, we have nothing to fear, no one to impress, and everyone to love. It's this true self that Jesus calls out and raises up in every single person that he meets. Zacchaeus, be who you really are. Get down from that tree. Be just. Practice God's shalom. And it is precisely this true self that we must never deny. Never. In ourselves or in other people. God's transformation takes time and continues to our final breath. And here's the great mystery. Sometimes it is in our times of deepest crisis that we are most accessible and receptive to God's transformation. In Romans 12, the Greek word for be transformed is the same one that comes in the Greek from metamorphosis. In our times of crisis, we are all sometimes like a caterpillar who thinks that the end of the world is coming and then is transformed into a butterfly. And this is why being part of a faith community is so crucial. Because it is here that we keep asking each other the key questions. And you'll find this in the response box in your bulletin today. A key life question is, to what must you and I die in order to be raised up by God more fully? What grudge, what racist attitude, what 
privileges of the empire, what sinful habit or addiction must we die to in order to rise to newness of life? Because in our journey with Christ, we never stop dying and we never stop being raised to newness of life. This past week, I was especially moved as I read the interview with Melissa Hand in our church newsletter. Thank you, Carol, for including that. It's beautiful. Earlier this year, she shares in the newsletter interview, Melissa was halfway through reading her Bible. Now, where does halfway through reading your Bible get you? Psalms, that's right, it's right in one of those middle psalms. The problem is is that you have to get 80% through the Bible to get to Jesus, don't you? And so she shared that she was feeling something like post-traumatic stress syndrome. As she read through the stories of violence and hatred and suffering and woe, And I thought, most devastatingly, she said she felt like she was losing her closest friend along the way, God. She was asking, who is this God? Melissa then opened her heart to a dear colleague at 10,000 Villages named Naomi Martin. And Naomi invited her to come to our church right as we were beginning our series, Reading the Bible Through the Eyes of Jesus. Wow. Thanks be to God. And from that very first Sunday, Melissa said that she sensed that she had been found again by God, and she had also come home to her spiritual family. And since then, she said she's been launched on her own transformational journey of moving from anger and sadness toward openness and love. I think in that beautiful story, we see that God has designed the church for radical transformation, to be a matrix of radical transformation. East Chestnut is our school of love where God is shaping Christ's beautiful character in each and every one of us. And my challenge as we close now is for us to be much more aware of why we do the things that we do here in this church. It's so easy for a church just to go through the motions. We talk about going to church. Is that really what we do here? Go to church? And so my challenge is that before every committee meeting, before every potluck, before every service event, let us remember why we are doing what we are doing so that we can deepen its transformational potential in our lives. As we enter into this new season, 
I wonder, is God asking us to do ten more new things here at East Chestnut? Or is God calling us to do everything that we do now differently? More intentionally, more receptively, more mindfully, more aware of how God desires to use all these things to shape Christ in us. And like Melissa, and like Ethan, to attract others to join us in this transformational journey. Amen.